It's everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast, episode number 14 of the season. I'm Ryan Marr and as always I'm joined by our Celtic View editor Paul Cuddihy and this week we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, it's obviously the break now for the World Cup so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to look back in the start of the season so far and go through some of the top moments and get you, the fans, to debate the key moments. So we're going to go through that later on into the, the podcast. Um, just a kind of precursor, we're obviously we're recording this before the weekend, just to make everyone aware, because what's probably going to end up happening is we're going to end up talking about goal of the season so far, and then Joe Hart scores like a 95th minute overhead kick to win the game or something on Saturday. So just in case anything happens in the Ross County game, we're not. We're doing this a little bit earlier, so so there won't be anything there. Um, Paul, what have you made though so so far of the of the start to the season and the position we're in at this kind of break? It's been pretty much kind of so far so good, hasn't it? Yeah, although I'm looking to this, uh, looking forward to this Joe Hart overhead kick in any fifth minute. I do apologise to him just in case he just in case he does do it. But yeah, things have been things have been going well. I mean, obviously we've had the St Mirren defeat, but other than that, you can't really ask for anything more so far, can you? No, it's been it's been excellent, and I think over and above the the fact that we are we're well ahead in the league and we're doing you know looking really strong domestically, I think the, the standard of the football, I, I just think people are coming along to the games and they're really enjoying what they're watching. I, I, you know, it's more than just about winning, and that's that's always something that's been said about Celtic. It's not just about winning; it's about the way we win, the Celtic way, and the managers grasped that from, from day one and so for him it is always about you know you're, they're there to, to enter, the players are there to entertain the fans and to win obviously and that's what this team does and I think when people turn up now they're, they are excited about what they're going to see and by and large I think they've, you know the players have delivered Yeah, I mean the reason we're filming this early as well is because when the podcast is due to go out we'll be in there going off to Australia and is, that, is that the Royal Wee? Yes, <laughs> um, and also we're going to have some content in this week's podcast to look forward to the Sydney Super Cup. We're going to hear from Harry Kuehl and Aaron Moy, two people that are born and raised in Sydney, and we'll also hear from the guys at the Sydney Supporters Club over there, just about the excitement about Celtic coming over. Um, and for all kind of regular listeners to the podcast, we'll know that at the end we always do a predictions game. Um, we're not going to get into that because there's still games to come at the weekend, but I know that you got a right result so far this week, but we'll get into that Another properly. One. I know, it's, it's, get, it's, it's getting too many at this moment in time, you're kind of pulling away. So, um, But during the this kind of World Cup break, we're going to be doing sort of daily prediction games, so we need you to get involved, so please do go on our Celtic View Twitter page and, and get in touch with us if you want to get involved. And what we've decided is that for every predictions game, I go up against you, we go up against the fans as well. But if you do take part and you do manage to beat myself and Paul on a day, and it's, it's pretty easy to beat me, but you're kind of you're kind of out there at the moment, then what we'll do is if you, if you win in a day, then you're going to go into the hat and uh, at the end of the World Cup, then you get a chance to win a signed Celtic view, a brand new Celtic view by the players that feature in the, the World Cup from Celtic. So a good little prize. So it's a good little incentive to, to get you involved. And would, it, would Alan... If I win it, just the kudos of the office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got the bragging rights and you'd let me know about it every day anyway. So uh, Okay, that's, that's enough. That's yeah. good enough for me. 
<laughs> now, let's get into our six categories then, Paul. So we've got player of the season, goal of the season, performance of the season, game of the season, signing of the season, and atmosphere of the season so far. So what we, we've done for this is we've put out a poll on Twitter to let you decide the winner for each category so far. So we'll go through all of that, but also I want us to try and decide between us so we can't, you can't have one and I can't have a separate one. We need to decide between the two, okay. two of us. So let's kick off then with the best atmosphere of the season. So four options in each category. The four options for this one are Flag Day, the 2-0 win against Aberdeen, the first game of the season. The Derby Day, 4-0, and then the return of the Champions League against Real Madrid and also the 6-1 game against Hibs at home, which James Forrest scored a hat-trick. Uh, let's start off with the flag day, Paul. Um, obviously, they're, they're always amazing days to celebrate the, the previous season's work. I thought this one was felt a little bit different due to the fact that we had the display around the whole stadium before the match as well. I think because of the success we had last year was almost kind of unexpected to a lot of people. You had that element of it. Um, I remember speaking to Harry Kuehl just after that game and he was saying he'd never actually experienced anything like that before as a, in his whole career, which has been so vast and varied. It was such a great atmosphere in the day. We got the result as well. What are your kind of memories of that game? Yeah, I always, I, I always kind of have flag day and trophy day almost like as you know, two halves of the, the, the coin. And I always prefer Trophy Day because <clears throat> that's just the culmination of the season. And I always, I get the feeling, I think Flag Day is nice because it's just another reminder that we are the champions. And, you know, that is always a great thing. But I always get the feeling as well that the players are just desperate to get the, the season underway, that, you know, there's the the, the pre-match ritual and Cal McGregor did it this year, which was nice as well as, as the captain. His first season as the, the title winning captain. But I think the players just are desperate for the, the season to, to kick off and actually start playing the games again. So I, I, I think it's always a nice atmosphere. I don't think it's like the same way as some of the other uh, candidates in this category, like in terms of the the electricity that kind of surges around the stadium. It's just there's a nice feeling about it and it's we all turn up and it's just a, that sense of, yeah, we are the, the best team in Scotland, as always. Yeah, I think it had a little bit of extra significance, as I said, because of the display but also because of the previous kind of flag day that we had where there was no fans at the stadium, we kind of missed out on that celebration. So to then have it back again, I think we kind of felt that that emotion um, in the stadium on that day. So I think it's definitely a, a good candidate. Um, the, the Derby Day, I think we'll maybe discuss in more detail later on because that comes up in, in quite a few categories, but obviously a day that we all, all remember extremely well. Um, so touching on the, the Real Madrid game in the, the Champions League, there was obviously so much excitement about getting back to that stage. It wasn't the result we wanted in the end, but I still don't think that can take away from the occasion pre-match with the Champions League anthem returning for the first time in five years. The, the players going into the huddle, the noise then. I mean, it was it was electric that night. I, I would argue that there's very few stadiums in European football where even just that those few moments that you describe from when the players come out onto the, the pitch, they line up, then you know you hear the anthem and it just sparks something 
I don't, I don't think there's anywhere else that, that generates that excitement and that, that level of, of atmosphere. And, you know, you can see teams like maybe like Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk coming and maybe they're slightly overawed, but you, the European champions there, and the champions here, and they were looking around as if, wow, what on earth's going on here? Yeah. That, and I think that's tied up with, for me, the, the first hour of that game. And, you know, I think the phrase fine margins sums up our European campaign because I think it was a campaign where, as the manager had said, we're going to play our football. That's how we're going to get tested, and we're, you know we have to play that way because that's our identity. And I, I still, whenever I think of that game, it's Callum, Callum McGregor no. shot because it's like, I mean, it's just fractions away from from getting in, and it, that just changes the whole dynamic of the game. I mean, I, I, I we were sitting beside each other that game, and there was a wee part of me that was also thinking, this would be a great. Uh, kind of epilogue to Callum McGregor's book if he scored in that game as well but that that was a I mean for me that was an, an incredible and I, what I liked about that was it came straight off the back of the Derby game so the, and the Derby game's always an incredible atmosphere but it was interesting I felt the way you feel about those two games that you know we'd be discussions in the office about you know what's the more important game what one you'd rather win and you can look at it and, and you know, say, well, we, obviously we're always going to beat Rangers again because that's just the nature of Scottish football, but we might never get another chance to beat Real Madrid. But actually, when it comes to a derby game, the feelings of like nervousness, anticipation, you just can't bear the thought of anything other than a victory. And that, that becomes... And then you realise that is the more important game because of, of what it means, not just in terms of Scottish football, but in terms of the context of your life in the city. And the way that we play against them and, and beat them comprehensively, I mean, that makes for... I mean, that's two two games in a row at Celtic Park where the atmosphere's just been unbelievable. I know. I don't think you would have got... A, you would have had a, a louder stadium in Europe that week with those those two games. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because, kind of, I remember the, the game against Rangers in February time where we won 3-0 and the atmosphere on that occasion was just electric as well. I can't remember if it was a few days before or a few days after. I went to the rugby um, to see Scotland play England. I know your thoughts on the rugby. But it was funny because going to that, everyone there has been like, oh, my first time going to a Scotland-England game in the rugby, and everyone's saying, the atmosphere's amazing, you know, Scotland-England, the rivalry there. I remember sitting in Murrayfield. It must have been afterwards, because I remember sitting in Murrayfield and going like, is this meant to be, is this meant to be good? Is this like, I've just come off the back of, Beating Rangers, you know. I know you would have you would have said that anyway and saved me the trip. <laughs> but that Real that Real Madrid game, my takeaways from it, the atmosphere. I can remember sitting in the office, and because everyone was just so excited to hear that anthem again, and we go through like a kind of run through um, of kind of the the plan for the for the evening. It must have been about five o'clockish, and. You they played the Champions League anthem and I remember sitting at my desk and you could hear it and it was just like starting to get the goosebumps and you're like, oh, this is this is different. And then where we were sitting at the press box, the Spanish journalist Guillaume Balagay, he was like kind of a row in front and just along to the side and he was doing some filming, whatever channel. And, um, and also then in front next to him was Roberto Carlos. And I remember the Champions League anthem going off and you're kind of just like, you're taking it all in. And I looked round to them and I could see both their faces. They were just looking around going, like they were speechless. And it's like, 
yeah, that's that's it. Like we we almost get not used to it, but you have those occasions so often. But for other people coming to visit, or maybe it's their first time, it's just unbelievable. And you know, potentially in a night like that, do you think it could be the best atmosphere in Europe, Celtic Park? I think without a doubt. I mean, nice, nice wee bit of name dropping in there as well. Um, oh, I, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I never, I never, uh, there, I, names. <laughs> I never take it for granted. I mean, I've been here for a long time now, and, and you always realise how lucky you are. And I think sometimes on those nights, there's part of me that's slightly envious of mm. everyone else because obviously we're in the press box and you can experience the atmosphere, but you know, you'll be nice sometimes. I think just to be sitting in with it with all the rest of the fans and, and experiencing it that way but uh, yeah I think and I think it also helped the fact it was Real Madrid we'd all waited so long to play them and I think everything about that night was just really special and as I say I think I think we were unlucky I mean they, they are an absolute top top class side and they showed that in both legs on occasion but certainly for the first hour we were more than a match for them and it's uh, you know we've said it before that at that level if you know, you need to take your chances, and if we had done, you just never know. But it's it's all about ifs and buts, really, isn't it? I know, I know. The fourth game is a game against Hibs, six one at home. But to be honest, I don't think it really is going to compete with the the Champions League one or the Rangers one. We've got that in another category as well later on, so maybe leave that discussion for for later. So decision time for that first category atmosphere of the season. Let us decide, and I'll see what the what the fans say. What what would you be going for? For me, it has to be the, the Real Madrid game. I yep. mean, I think, as I say, I think the result and the 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 context of the game, the Derby games, always, you know, it's the one that you just, you love to win those games. But in, just in terms of that atmosphere, the excitement, you know, the, the noise, the Champions League music, the opposition, the way we performed, everything about it was really, really special. Yep. I have to agree. It has to be the, the Champions League one, so we can agree on that. And also, you, the fans, agreed as well. It was quite close, though. 40% of you said the 4 0 win over Rangers, and 49% said the game against Real Madrid in the Champions League. So tight, but a clean sweep there for the Real Madrid game. Right, moving on to performance of the season. Now, we do also have a category of game of the season. Performance of the season is a little bit different. That is just more about the the best 90 minutes that you saw from Celtic, the, the sort of total 90 minutes. So the four, the four options again are Rangers 4-0, um, the 9-0 victory over Dundee United, the 5-0 victory over Kilmarnock away from home at the start of the season, and then again, the 6-1 victory at home to Hibs. Um, we left the Rangers game out of the last discussion, so let's talk about that now. Um, Do you know it's really interesting because when I I was thinking about my my performance this season, I didn't my choice isn't in any of them. What's what, really? Well, yeah, I for me it was the the Tynecastle game. Okay. Bec partly because I think the way we played, but also because of all the circumstances and everything that was. Yeah, that, but I mean we do also against. have the game this season. Yeah, yeah, as well you know option but because for me per performance of the season it's like okay the most dominant 90 minutes per display and yeah we've done amazing in that hearts game to win it and we did play well but we also did let hearts into it so that would be my argument for not including it okay. maybe our first few <laughs> first few point of contention there um but the rangers game to go to have that game in the february where we won 
3-0. And to be 3-0 up at half time, I remember we were sitting there and just couldn't believe what was happening. And then to pretty much have a carbon copy, but actually get a fourth goal in the second half as well. I mean, it was just another exceptional display in that day. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I was saying earlier on, you know, in the lead up to that game, on the day of the game, and you come in here and you start to feel slightly nauseous because you're so nervous because that's when it really hits you that this is the game because, you know, for, for a whole variety of reasons, it's so important that we win. But again, I think it, it wasn't just the, the fact that we won. I mean, we'd have taken 1-0, a last-minute Joe Hart overhead kick to win it. <laughs> but um, it's the it was the the way we played. You know, we went out there and, and I think when you when Ange Postacoglu's Celtic side play the way they want to play, there's, there is literally, well, certainly no one in Scotland can live with us. And I think it just emphasised the dominance. And actually, probably from that point, probably from that point, you know, on the other side of the city, I think that was kind of when the pressure would have started on their manager. Because the reality is, if you, if you get rid of all the the nonsense that's written in the, the press with the, the fans with typewriters about how brilliant the opposition are, with the evidence is there before your eyes, and I think ordinary fans realise that it's really difficult for anyone to beat us because we we look so strong. We you know when we play, you know we're just too quick, we're too fast. We finish, we're, we're clinical, and then we've got so many players that are big game players. You know, and, and they've now, you know, it's always a test I think for any player when they come here. How do they cope with the derby? And every one of them seems to thrive on it. And I think that's what's encouraging you. Know, you know, look at Real Hitati, Matt O'Reilly, Lila Bada, Jota, all these guys that. You know, they're, they're just experienced over the last year. They obviously love that atmosphere. And it just brings out the best in them. And, you know, it was, I mean, it was absolutely, uh, it was comprehensive. Yeah, I think from a start to finish, performance-wise, I, I genuinely can't remember Rangers having a chance in that game at all. And I think with the game, we went 3-0 in the February in the night game, and we went 3-0 up. I think the first half was pretty much identical in that way. But then in the second half, I think in the game in February, we slightly allowed them back in it, but not not really back in it. But it's, it's, it's easy to play when you're 3-0 down, you know. Um, but they had a couple of opportunities, but I cannot remember them having one opportunity at all in that 90 minutes. And then we obviously go and, and score a fourth goal in quite funny circumstances yeah. in that game. But that was just, it seemed like a complete, total 90-minute performance. Um, so I think that could be, potentially could be the one. But... Who can forget the 9-0 victory over Dundee United at Tannadice? Was that a game where the result showed the performance was unbelievable or was it just a game where the performance is actually quite similar to other games and we just hit the back of the net more often? What would you think? I think the latter. I th- you know, I'm sure we've had discussions about it and I'm sure plenty of people have had discussions about this Celtic team, about how they are going to take nine or ten off a team this season because if you look at most of the stats in the games, we dominate in terms of possession and chances. I mean, comprehensively. So you're just looking for that game where everything clicks into place, and that was the game where just everything went right for us, and we just you know we couldn't stop scoring. And you know, the United would have been relieved that the game only last ninety minutes because you know it could have been. That that's that's what sums up this Celtic team that we win nine 0 But actually, when you look back at that game, it could have been twelve or thirteen, and that's not. I mean, it sounds really disrespectful to Dundee United, but we were just, we were just completely we steamrolled them, and and we've done that in other games 
without necessarily getting the, the goals. That day, as I say, everything just clicked into place and, uh, you, know, you know, I was going to say you feel sorry for the opposition, you don't really because that's just the nature of football yeah. and I think it was just, that kind of summed up what we'd been doing and I think it will happen again. I think the way that the manager wants us to play, the way that the, way, the, way that the players play and have embraced this system, there will be another team that is that will be look you know in the course of an eighty minutes will be thinking this could be ten. Yeah, I was I was up at that game and should remember I think it would have got to about seven, and you just knew every time we went up the park and attacked we were scoring, and all the goals were pretty much carbon copies of each other apart from like Kyogo's screamer from from outside the box. But it was just one of those games where you kind of almost had your head in your hands just thinking. What is going on here? Like, this is unbelievable. And then I'm pretty sure, as a full-time whistle blew, I think we just missed a chance to make it 10, or the ref had blown the whistle early, um, which, which stopped us a chance of making it 10, and there was, like, booze ringing out. It's like, when have a team ever won 9-0 and they leave the part to, to booze? Obviously, it was tongue-in-cheek, but um, it was just an, it was an amazing occasion. But... You know, in comparison with the Rangers game, potentially, kind of my argument for, for maybe looking more towards that Rangers game is that I feel like we've had a lot of performances like that Dundee United one, and it's just that we've maybe not hit the back of it as often. It's just that day that everything came off. Um, but let's touch on other two games as well. Briefly, the Kilmarnock 5-0 away performance and Hibs 6-1 at home where James Forrest scored his hat-trick. Again, I think in terms of overall performances, the Kilmarnock game again was was brilliant from start to finish we saw some brilliant goals and then again the hips game we came under a bit of pressure at the start but then thereafter that just dominant and brilliant to see james forrest score his 100th goal yeah i mean i think what's interesting about the commandment game and then also for me you take into account like sort of the livingston victory this season and what i think from day one you know when the manager came in he had to build a new team you know the squad wasn't as strong in terms of numbers or quality that it is now but he always said, there's no excuses, we don't make excuses. We just, we go with what we've got and that's it. And I think that that attitude is fed into the players. So regardless of what we come up against, we just got on with it. And so therefore, I think that's been interesting. We lost the first game in the plastic pitch at Livingston last season, but then the manager's not making excuses for that. That's not the reason why we lost. Mm. We've had two comprehensive wins there and then to go down to Rugby Park and that atrocious plastic pitch they've got and beat them so comprehensively. And again, if you look back at results over the years, that can be quite a tricky ground for us as well. And so I think that was a that was a really early encouraging sign. And the Hibs game, the two things I always remember about that game, obviously it was the James Forrest game. I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and the uh, the unacceptable <laughs> quote, quote that the, uh, the Hibs manager was wearing, and he deserved to get hammered just for, <laughs> for wearing that quote. To, you know, it, it's like, uh, what's that, that phrase about... Don't don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. So I don't know if he wants to be a nightclub owner because he, <laughs> he wasn't dressing like a football manager. And he, I mean, he absolutely slaughtered his team after that game, but slightly harshly, I think, because they're playing against Celtic. You're playing against this Celtic team who are really hard to live with. And obviously that's been slightly flippant. The game was all about James Forrest, who's mm. just like, for me, and I've said it before, I, again, I think in years to come, you'll be able to say to people, I saw James Forrest play, I saw James Forrest play for the entirety of his career and you look through his appearances, his goals, his assists, his trophies, he, for me he is a, a Celtic legend and you know I was 
to become only the 30th guy to score 100 goals for Celtic is just phenomenal. And uh, that was a, for me, that was a brilliant day. A brilliant day for him, obviously, but I think for us to see that. Mm-hmm. Decision time then with, with these four games, I think I'm going to sit my neck out in the line and say it has to be the Rangers one. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and the fans, you fans agreed as well. 28% you said Dundee United, but 67% said Rangers. That was quite a nice, yeah. I know, that was quite a nice quite number. I was, I was quite happy when I, when I saw that. Um, <laughs> so moving on then to the next one, which is the game of the season. So again, slightly differently to performance of the season. This is just for the kind of the most entertaining game, maybe the game that took your breath away the most, the game you celebrated the most. So the four options, again, are the Rangers 4-0 game. Uh, we've got St Johnston 2-1 in Perth, the late drama with Yakimakis. We have this game against Hearts at Tynecastle, where we won 4-3, Greg Taylor scoring the winner. And then more recently, the 4-2 home victory over Dundee United at Celtic Park. You've kind of already made your case for the Hearts game. Talk to us about that one. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's a, it's a seven-goal thriller, which we win. Greg Taylor gets the winning goal, the unlikeliest of goal scorers, which was brilliant. But I think the whole context of the game, obviously, it was our very first game that we played under VAR. I think it's a game that, you know, people are still talking about in the context of other games. You know, for example, the United game, the ball hits Burnaby in the arm, he has his back to the, the player, we get a penalty against us, and people will never forget that blatant penalty that for whatever reason the the VAR referee looked at it and decided it wasn't a handball and so it was in that context I think we had a lot to to take on that day and, and a ground it's always very tough it's I think most players I've, I've heard so many players over the years say it's a ground they always love playing at because the fans are right on top of you it's a it's a, it's a good atmosphere there's real animosity there because they obviously don't like us so it's always great to win and to win in that manner with everything. That, and I, to an extent, those two games, I think we've rescued VAR from from further criticism by winning rather than dropping points and then people having to say, wait a minute, something wasn't right here. But that, that was a, I mean, that was a thrilling game. Yeah. All four of these games are games I've attended this season. And I think the difference with, you know, St. Johnson game and the Dundee United game you had drama. The Hearts game, you had drama throughout. But those two other games, it wasn't... The other 85 minutes of the game were kind of, you know, not really too much to, to write home about, you know. It wasn't until those last five minutes where you got all of that drama. But the Hearts game, it was just non-stop. I think because of VAR as well, and there was so much confusion in the grounds, and we didn't know at times what was happening when we were sitting there. Um, I think I said this before, I was sitting next to the Hearts stadium announcer who gets in his ear usually when they're looking at far and I'm nudging him going, what's going on here? And he doesn't know and the whole stadium didn't know and it was a great atmosphere on the day as Tyne Cashel usually is against us in those kind of tight games. Um, but then to actually turn it around after going 2-1 down to win the game and I think also as well because remember Aaron Moy missing a really big chance to make it two each sitting thinking, oh, is that, I know we're still early in the game, but you're thinking, are these the moments? And then we scored straight after that, and then for Greg Taylor to come off the bench and score the winner um, was, was unbelievable. So I'm going for that game as my game of the season. Sounds like you are as well. I mean, originally, 
for team performance, I had put that game, event, okay. and then I'd put game of the season, the the Rangers game. Right. But I think in the category, I can understand. I'm I'm happy to. Right. Okay. The fans though have went seventy one percent for the Rangers game mm-hmm. as game of the season. That was my and, rush, when I put it down. That was yeah. my show. Yeah. I mean, it's a. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything <laughs> against that. I mean, am I to argue against beating Rangers four 0 at home as a potentially not being the game of the season? But for me. The Hearts game, I think. I think potentially when you look back in the league in general, even by the end of the season, you're probably looking at that potentially being the game of the season, and it probably is the game of the season in the league for me at this moment in time. But I'll take Rangers for now. That's that's absolutely fine with me. Um, we've still got three more categories to go, but I think it's time to maybe take a take a little break um, as we're going to be flying out to Australia for the Sydney Super Cup. And earlier this week, Celtic TV caught up with our assistant coach, Harry Keel, and Aaron Moy, two people who were born in Sydney. Aaron Moy, who's going to be taking part in the World Cup for Australia to get their views on Celtic going over to Australia and to chat a little bit more about the upcoming World Cup. Having both been born and brought up in Sydney, guys, how great is it to see Celtic play in the Sydney Super Cup? Look, for, for me, it's, uh, it's important because Again, Annie, I'm, and I talk on a, on a personal note here, where I'm from, you know, it's, uh, we grow up playing the game and, and we watch a lot of football on the TV. And when you had an opportunity as a youngster to come and see a team play live, it was important for us to, to see what the, uh, the stars over in Europe were, were doing. So to be able to come out now with a, a huge club like Celtic, uh, not only in my country, but you know, my state, but virtually in my neighborhood, it's, um, I'm proud to be a part of Celtic and I can't wait to get out there and show like the, the Australian public and all the Celtic fans what they're actually are missing in, by watching it on TV but when they come out and see it live because when you see football live it's a completely different game. Arden, tell us how much people from Sydney love the sport. Yeah, everybody in Australia loves sport. We're always outdoors uh, playing all, all sorts. Um, but yeah, that's backyard cricket. With backyard, backyard cricket. cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Table tennis. We're, we're good at yeah. swimming. Swimming. Scuba that's what you do in Australia. You're always out, <laughs> outdoors, playing sports. Um, was mainly football for me, but um, yeah, it's a it's, it's a big part of a, a Aussie culture. We've got used to the term the Socceroos after the global recognition from the Australian football team. And of course, the success of Ange as a manager and also some individual players like yourselves who have forged successful careers in Europe from a country that loves its cricket, its Aussie rules. How much is football growing in popularity in, in your home country? Look, football's, there's always, I mean, look, again, from where we're going, where we're going to be playing our games, football is, is, is quite big. You know, the, a lot of the young kids play it. Look, don't get me wrong, we, we are dominated by the NRL which is a fantastic sport in its own right. Uh, but football is a, is a world global sport. Um, and we're trying to compete with the A-League uh, to make it a competitive league so we can produce better players um, uh, to play at the higher level. And it, it, is, a, it is a good league. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we are overshadowed by the, the likes of AFL and NRL. But we, we do our best. And we do have a good uh, following. I mean, from the last time I, I read, the, 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 the women football is, is getting 
bigger and bigger in Australia. So we're getting more and more people involved in the game. We just want to make it sure that we, we continue that uh, progress and then hopefully we can kind of compete with NRL and the AFL. If you weren't involved in the professional game, would these matches be something that you would probably go and attend and go and see? Yeah, that's what, that's what we hope for, uh, for, for for football in Australia. You want uh, more people coming out and watching games and um, buying into it and getting into it and enjoying it because that's, that's the main thing, isn't it? You want them to enjoy the game and make it... They want to watch entertain. It's it's, a, it's it's entertainment, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the one thing about Australians, we do love our sport. I mean, like I said, we we we've grown up playing it. Uh, we grow up playing everything, and we watch everything. So when we do have, you know, certain teams that come out here, depending on any sport, we will actually come and and watch because we want to see what's happening. Have you been trying to get the manager to give you some minutes on the pitch for this, Harry? <laughs> I look well. Easily could. I, I mean, thanks, mate. I appreciate. <laughs> it. I mean, after today's performance, I don't know. You saw my. Uh, I was a little bit off today, which was, you know, kind of strange. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, no one. Uh, look, the standards very high here. I mean, from the moment I walked in, I mean, it, uh, the levels that I've been working at previously, and then when you step up to this level, I was taken back. You know, and I was thinking, wow, they for the first for the first moment they work hard. You know, they very rarely lose the ball. I mean, if, if, if one of the teams get three or four passes in, I mean, the opposition ain't really seen it for another 15, 16 passes. So could I be involved in that? I could, because I could just probably be a mannequin somewhere in the middle and just probably conducting it, you know. But no, I don't think uh, I've, I've, I've had my time. It's, it's his time now to be able to go out there and shine. I'm sure you would agree with that, Aaron. No, I don't agree. <laughs> it's He's just been flying there, no problem. Honestly. You've both spent much of your career and life in the UK. From a personal point of view, Harry, Aaron, you could be at the World Cup. How much are you looking forward to, to getting back home for a bit, Harry? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out exactly the last time when I was back. Um, and obviously, I'd, I'd played with now Melbourne City, but Melbourne Heart. And I think I'd finished about 30, 36. So it's near enough coming up to a good 10 years since I you know, kind of haven't been back. And especially what the world's gone through over the past few years, it was, it was very difficult to get back there. But now I'm excited to, uh, to come back. And again, even though it's in Australia and in Sydney, it's actually virtually in my neighbourhood. So you know, I'm looking forward to seeing my family, my friends, and uh, just going out there and, and, and putting a show on for, for the people that actually do come out there and, and watch Celtic uh, playing these two games. Celtic has such a big support around the world, particularly in Australia and Sydney. Do you have any experience, guys, of being aware of this support when you were, you were growing up in, in the city? Uh, look, we had, we had heard about it. I mean, again, uh, Australia, uh, we have certain teams that we do follow, uh, certain teams that have been successful. And when you get a team that is successful, we usually get a following. So Celtic are a very successful team. And again, we're hoping that all these people do come out and, and, and watch us live because like I said, watching on TV or watching little snippets or watching little adverts or you know watching little parts of games and reading up on things is not the same as actually going out there and, and seeing it live. So hopefully they all come out there and watch us and I'm sure we will definitely put on a great show. At the time um, we travel over to the country when there will be football fever as the World Cup in Qatar will be on. 
What is the excitement like in the country for that and for yourself, Aaron, to hopefully be part of that for the country? Yeah, it's, it's massive. Um, everybody gets right behind the, the Socceroos. Um, becomes a, a massive thing all over the country. Um, everyone watches the games together and um, everyone gets right behind us. So it's a real special time um, for, for players and even just for, for football fans. It's uh, looking forward to it. It's a huge moment. I mean, it's every four years that the, you know, the World Cup comes around and, you know, even, <laughs> look, the, even the way that we qualified, you know, there was a, a bit of stick thrown around uh, about how we, we, we qualified, but the, alter, the, the ultimate goal is to qualify for a World Cup and it shouldn't be easy. And I think we can, we can look at it now and, and say that there's teams out there that usually breeze through the, the group stages and, and qualify for these World Cups where they're not seeing that now. So the smaller nations now are coming together, being a lot stronger and making it more difficult for these bigger clubs. So I think it's a huge achievement for this team to, to, to qualify for this World Cup. And, you know, regarding the group, there's no easy game in the World Cup. Yes, our, our opening game is against France, you know, the World Cup holders. It's going to be difficult, but what game is not difficult in the World Cup? So the support that these guys will get from Australia will be huge. Every single person in Australia will be glued to that TV. Every single player, every single fan will be watching and cheering them on. And, you know, I'll be one of them. And with that football fever in Sydney, I'm sure you'll be hoping Celtic can capitalise on that as well. Yeah, of course. And like I said, it's, it's all part of it. And, and, and it's important that, you know, football is shown all around the world. And the one thing that people do want to see is good football, you know, where when we talk about football and everyone builds certain games up, it can be quite dull and boring. But I'd have to say, for the moment I've been here, I haven't seen one dull and boring game because of the way this team plays. Yes, we still have three categories remaining, Paul. We've got setting of the season, goal of the season, and player of the season so far. So let's kick off now with signing of the season. Now, I actually forgot when we were collating this list in the office um, that Carter Vickers and Jota, you almost forget that they signed this summer. So they're in the list because they did permanently yeah, sign. I never forgot. <laughs> just because I was, because they were here last season, you just think, oh, they've been here that whole time. Well, can I say, I didn't forget, because that's my, that's my... Uh, okay, okay, good. Well, that is, that is two of the options, other two being Haksibanovic and Jens. Just kind of looking at Carter Vickers and Jota in general to begin with, the influence they've had so far this season, the influence they had last season... But I think so much of the conversation throughout the summer was, you know what, we're probably only going to get one. Who would you rather, Carter, Vickers or Jota? And everyone's debating which one you'd rather have. And then we've got both. And I think both of those players are such, they're, they're such influential players to Celtic and so important we've got them both over the line. And I, and I have to say, and it's there in black and white that I put the two of them as the most impressive signing because I think, you know, given what they'd done last season for us, as you say, it was so important that, that we got them both for this season. And I think I think it sent out a signal um, of the club's intent. And it was done, again, you know, the manager's been really good and, and the club's been really good in terms of getting their, their kind of signing business done early. So 
it means then we know what the squad is ahead. We, you know, the fans knew what those two players could do, and I think it was great having the two of them on board. It also, is a, it's a sign as well of how much they've enjoyed being here, how much they've bought into what the manager's trying to do, and they see their futures. You know, for example, Cameron uh, Carter Vickers. It's only by coming to Celtic that he's found himself playing, you know, regularly regularly in the. American national squad and is going to the World Cup. You know, I don't think he would have got that if he'd stayed at Spurs because he wouldn't have got the, the game time. Jota made the, the long list for the Portuguese squad. So he's How on... How that, though? Well, exactly. When you look at some of the, the players that he's up against, but the very fact he's on the radar now of the, the Portuguese national side and, you know, we all know his quality and, and what he can do. So I think it was I think it was brilliant to get the two of them on board. Um, and so they, for me... I mean, the man- manager's hardly put a foot wrong. I mean, the players that he's brought in since he's come here have just been incredible. Um, but I think last summer, getting the two of them to commit themselves to their, their future, I think was so important for a whole variety of reasons. So that was, I mean, I think everybody was delighted when the two of them signed. Yep, don't think I can add any more on those two. Hak Zivanovic, um, a player who came in and didn't really know too much about. Obviously, the, the front half of, the field was an area that were littered with options and then you were signing another player and I think maybe for myself you're looking going where might he fit in not too sure what his best position is going to be but actually that's been the positive of Aksabanovic that he's been able to play in so many different positions in the midfield across the front line he started adding goals to his game and he really starts to be coming into his own Yeah and I think when, when we signed him the manager made that point of like buying a player who can play in several positions and every time he's come on I, I really like him I like there's something about him that I like his directness uh, mm-hmm. you know he, he seems really confident he wants the ball he wants to do something with it um, he's you know he's set up some chances but as you say he's now started to score so yeah I think he's I think with each passing game with each passing month he's just going to get better and better yep um, and then the, the last name on the list Moritz Jens who another player when signing Again, coming in on loan from, from Lorient, didn't really know too much about him. I think when he came in as well, you always had Carter Vickers and Starfelt who had such a good partnership last season. Stephen Welsh started the season really strongly as well, scoring against Aberdeen. And you're thinking, is this guy maybe going to be fourth choice centre-half? But he's actually just completely proved he's, he's worth over that time. He's almost just stepped in seamlessly, which I imagine potentially as a centre-half might be the hardest position to to do that, to make a partnership with someone and to, to understand that system of what you want, particularly this system where it's so aggressive and trying to pass the ball through the, through the thirds. Um, so again, he's, he's someone that's just really impressed. And I think it was a, it was a timely signing because obviously uh, Carl Starfelt got injured, so he, yeah. he wasn't really available in pre-season. And then Stephen Welsh, as you said, started really well and then he was unlucky in picking up an injury. So the fact that we had Moritz Jens there... I think it helped him, the fact that you know he'd come through the, the ranks of Fulham with Matt O'Reilly, so it probably helped him settle in. I really like him. I think he looks really comfortable on the ball. He's a really good guy as well. I think you know we've both interviewed him, and I think he comes across really well. Uh, and I think he's a, another player you can see the real potential uh, that, that he's got. And it'd you know, be interesting to see. Obviously, he's here on loan this season, but he's, I think he has fit, he's fitted in seamlessly on and off the park to, to the squad and you know again as, as I said you can't really fault any of the players that the managers brought in because they've all come in and they've all done a really good job. Mm-hmm. So you've got 
most impressive signing CCV and Jota. Now, we have to decide between one of them. If, now this might help us make a decision. See, the fans... It's easier for me to choose my favourite child. <laughs> if it makes our decision any easier, the fans have went 40% for Jota, 50% for Cameron Carter-Vickers. I wonder if some of that is even just the fact that maybe Jota's not through injury, he's not been playing as mm -hmm. much this season. It's, to me, it's so a toss of the coin because, and I think the thing is, they do different things in the team. I think Cameron Carter-Vickers has just grown with each passing game, you know, he's obviously taken over in the captain's armband in the absence of Callum McGregor. He's he's absolutely pivotal in the central defence. I think the other players alongside him, they they thrive. And as I say, I, I'm I'm so pleased that he's going to the World Cup because I think he deserves it. Mm. And then at the other end, some of the things that Jota does just take you know they just take your breath away, and he's it's very I'm 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 just going to let I'm, the fans you know, choose. I, I was going to say I'm happy with this one for us to almost sit in the fence and just go with what the fans have chosen and fifty percent going for for yeah. Cameron Carter Vickers. I'm I'm happy with that if you are. Yeah, because well I can't decide. So. Yeah, neither can I. Neither can I. Right. Okay. Let's move on then to goal of the season, which we'll we'll show you the the four of them now. So we've got. First of all, Jota's opening day goal against Aberdeen on flag day. Then we've got another Jota goal. You probably can guess, the one against Rangers. Um, then Kyogo's long-range strike against Dundee United, that first-time shot. And then finally, Rail Hitati's long-range goal in the 2-1 win against Motherwell. Shall we run through those one by one to begin with? Jota's goal against Aberdeen. Uh, really... Maybe could have picked that. You could have picked his one against Kilmarnock as well. It just kind of was a sign. You got him over the line, and then he just kick-started the season in even better form than he finished the previous season, scoring these long-range wonder goals, um, which was a, a brilliant start for his season and for our season as well. Yeah, and he's another. You, you see quite often with the, the wide players that they can alternate between right and left, and depending on what wing they are, they can do different things. And when he's playing on the left, he has that. He's always a, he's always an out ball for everyone, but then he's got that ability to to cut and say he must be a nightmare to mark because they don't know if he's just going to go to the line, he's going to jink through them, or else he can cut inside. And when he does, he's looking for that opening, and he's we've seen it so many times that he's he's got that ability just to unleash a shot. Um, so um, that would, it's not my choice for goal this yeah. season, but it's it's a you know it's a top class goal from a top class player. Yeah, you know I think I think we know what the the goal is going to be, so we'll quickly run through the the other two options um, and if I'm wrong then, then jump in but the Kyogo goal against Dundee United that was clearly the pick of the, the nine goals we scored in, in that yeah. game um, absolute wonder strike from a guy who was just in peak form at that moment and then Hitati ended up being a crucial goal in that. I can't remember if that was a second goal and then in the game ended up 2-1 um, but we've, we've seen in a number of occasions what Hitati can do from, from distance and he proved it again against Motherwell proper swerving strike and kind of hitting the post and going into the bottom corner but Jota's goal against Rangers is that not just I mean I think that's going to win this goal of the season so far but is that also one of the best goals in the derby match in recent history as well potentially it's iconic for me because everything about the the move and, and the it was his first touch to control that ball at full stretch was was incredible and to have the presence of mind to then chip the ball and then 
also to then produce this brilliant celebration where he just runs over at the corner and then head bowed, you know, fist in the air. So everything about it was brilliant. And then you obviously just add in the opposition that, that yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be a candidate for goal of the season. And it's always hard to, every goal against Rangers is always a, <laughs> is always a great goal in my book. And we've, we've scored some, you know, Hatati scored a couple of absolute belters last season. But Jota's is right up there. Um, and as for me, as the everything about it, right up to his celebration, is just absolutely iconic. See, to celebrate like that, that must mean that you just do that most days in training, and it's just like, ah, this is this is nothing out of the norm. If I'd done it, I mean, I can't even imagine what I'd be doing if, if I'd done that, but just to have that calmness and composure to go, yep, I'm just going to stand here and, and take it all in and stick my fist up in the air. But 100% right, it's so iconic because, see, when you look back in years to come, when we make... DVDs in the future, or if DVDs are still around. And, um, but when you look back at those kind of big Derby moments in the, the 21st century, that's going to be up there with everything else for me. I, I really, really do think so. It's just such a, as you said, to, to race onto it, to touch it like that, to then get to the ball and just the awareness to dink it. And oh, it was just, it was superb, absolutely superb. And it wins this one because it's the fans give it eighty percent of the vote. I don't think we're going to disagree in that one, are we? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. Okay. So last one, last category is player of the season so far. So our four options for this one are Kyogo, who is currently the top goal scorer um, in the team, unless Yakimakis gets a few more against Ross County. Um, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Jota, and Greg Taylor. Who do you want to start talking about the first? Well, I'll, I'll start with the the player who I think for me is the player of the season so far, and it's Greg Taylor. I think he has been exceptional. I, I think he just continues to grow. I think you've seen it since the day the managers come in. He's always been a really good defender. I always felt he suffered as any player would have at left back because you were following Kieran Tierney, who was so, so good for us and so well loved by the fans. It was always a you know, people can't help but make comparisons. But I think he's just dug in. I think he's I think he's done well. He's always been a really good defender. But I actually think under this system, what you're seeing is how good a footballer he is. And he is, for me, he's one of the key players in the way we play. Because, as I say, he's, you know, he's so solid at left back. But then so often you see him in the middle of the park. You see him at the edge of the box. He's now chipping in with goals as well. And I think what was interesting is that I kind of felt when Callum McGregor went out injured, who's, who is the absolute pivotal player for, for me in that team. And there was, there was a lot of players that stepped up and he was one of them, like, you know, obviously Cameron Carter-Vickers took on the, the, the role of captain, but I, I kind of felt as Greg Taylor is one of the most experienced players, just almost kind of stepped up and thought, well, I need to lead here by example in, in terms of how we play because we don't have our, our leader on the park. And I think he's done that exceptionally well. And I think he's a really great guy as well. He's always brilliant to, to deal with for us. But I, I think his performances and obviously the goal at, at, at Tynecastle was just brilliant, and and I loved his celebration for that. It's for that's for me that's one of the, the celebrations of the season. <laughs> I would like to actually ask him um, if maybe the Alexander Burnaby coming in in the summer, if that had any impact at all, and just in terms of maybe getting that extra little one percent out of him. I don't. I'm not really too sure, but the, this season, I don't think the. 
I don't think it's like the improvements in his game have increased massively. I think it's that consistency and that that we've always seen that kind of desire and, and commitment from him and his work ethic and his work rate and his quality. I do think that the kind of quality on the ball has improved as well. It has that kind of tactical understanding of being in the right positions at the right time, knowing what the manager wants. Um, I think he's talked about it before that in his early days he, he had played central midfield, which I think is, at, is helping him just now. But as you mentioned as well, I think that's an added element is the fact that he seems to be taking on more responsibility and becoming a, a real leader in the, in the team. People always talk about when they do like teammates questions with Celtic TV, like who's the loudest, who's the funniest, and his name comes up a lot. He's such an important player on the pitch, but also off the pitch as well for this team. And it's just, it's great to see someone like that, who's he's such a, a nice guy, like, like all those guys are as well though, but someone that you can see how much work he puts into it to get these rewards at the moment. It's brilliant to see. Because I've listened to a couple of the manager interviews and obviously he's been asked about Greg in, in recent, the last month or two. And he always makes the point that Greg Taylor comes in every day, which the manager puts great store on how you train every single day and the way they train and how they are. He want, he comes in every day wanting to, to be the best he can be, to keep improving. I think you also forget to get to that level anyway, you have to be a really good footballer. And I think sometimes maybe players that end up in maybe more defensive positions, that side of their game... Uh, gets overshadowed by the other, the other aspects of what they have to do. But I think what this system does, it brings out the, the very best in them. And as I say, I think he's he's obviously out. He couldn't play that role if he wasn't a really good footballer. And I think that's what you're seeing. And uh, uh, for me, he's, you know, I think the other players, you can make a case for mm. it for any of them anyway, because we've had such a good start this season. But for me, and I'm so delighted as well that I think maybe people are starting to see now the, the quality that he has and the, I mean he just, for me he just gives absolutely everything to that jersey every single time he plays and I love, I love, I've always loved that with, with Celtic players that you know he just, he just runs himself into the ground for mm. the cause. Yeah, I think that's almost underestimated his quality in the ball because in that position, probably more than most on the park, you're becoming under so much pressure from the opposition chasing you down to try and get the ball off you in terms of trying to pressure high up the park because you know if you're a, a left winger a jota a lot of the time you're maybe getting the ball in space when we've worked out that position and you've worked through the pressure he's constantly coming under pressure he's receiving the ball in difficult situations as well from the goalkeeper from center halves because we're trying to play out from the back and invariably does he give it away he's always so calm and composed and and manages to keep possession of the ball and it's such an important part of the game because without that, you would not then have that build-up play to get it into midfield, to get it into Jota and Abada and, and all those likes and actually start those attacks. There was a, the, the game uh, last week against Motherwell for a part, there was an incident, I can't remember what had happened, but there was something in the middle of the park where it was an attack we were on quite deep in Motherwell territory and the two players that were kind of leading it in the middle of the park were Juranovic and Taylor. And you kind of you're almost getting used to the fact that that's where they'll be, but then it just it just suddenly struck me that's our two fullbacks in that attacking position, and you think that's brilliant in terms of an attacking sense, but also it shows how much nerve the team have to have because effectively then you've got two defenders that are away from their defensive positions, so you need to know that you're going to hold on to the ball, and the two guys at the back in the central defence need to know that they have to cover. And I thought it was it just was like as I say I've seen it so many times, but then it just sometimes it just strikes you again how how brilliant that is, what they're doing. Yeah, 
I think we've got a winner with that then, Greg Taylor uh, with us. And you also decided with Greg Taylor because you gave him 64% of the vote. Um, obviously, the, the other three players in that list have had fantastic seasons so far. Kyogo's continuing his goals. I think maybe Kyogo, the, the one thing with him is that we're comparing Kyogo to Kyogo because he came in last season. We didn't know much about him. He hit the ground running. Um, Carter Vickers has been such an important player at the back and then we all know which Otto does as well. So four players. I mean, you probably could have picked so many players in that, the team so far this season because the performances as a whole have been absolutely outstanding and you can't get that without every player in the team playing their part. But yeah, Greg Taylor for, for us for that. So that's our six categories done. You're quite happy with, with what we came to in the end? Do you know, it'll be quite interesting to see when we come back to it at the end of the season, how many of those mm -hmm. uh, winners are I still was, there. We should do that. We'll definitely do that and see and see if it's, if any of them are still the case. Um, but no, I, I mean, it's been a great season so far, so I'm, I'm happy with those, those six categories. Um, just to kind of round off, Paul, this is coming out when the break for the, the World Cups happened. Uh, are, you, are you looking forward to the World Cup? How are you, how are you feeling about it all? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to a month of football. I mean, I always, I think everybody loves the World Cup. I think you always have a certain nostalgia for when you were younger. When, yeah. when, you what know, memories come to mind for you watching World Cups? Well, the first, the first memory, so I was lucky enough, the first real World Cup I remember was 1974, which was the first time Scotland had been in the World Cup for just under 20 years. And so I remember, I remember that tournament, and then obviously I remember 78 as well. At the time, I was just leaving primary school, and I think the whole country thought that Scotland were going over to Argentina to win the, the tournament. And that is the great, in terms of the Scotland national team, that is the great what if, because they did have a brilliant team at that time. And I always wonder if the tournament had been in Europe, maybe. But there was a whole variety of things going on. Mm. But I just love it, even as, as they've expanded it. I think that's always a danger with the tournaments, if you expand it too much. To an extent, there's a danger of diluting the quality, but ultimately it's still um, it's still a good tournament. It's going to be interesting this year because obviously it's happening right in the middle of, of everybody's seasons and whether that actually has a benefit because teams are, you know, players are in the full throes of the season or whether, it, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to be, but it's always, it's always good to look forward to. And I think in the absence of, for, for for a lot of us, obviously Scotland or even Ireland as a team to support, then you kind of just start to follow the the four Celtic players that are there and just hope that they do really well. Um, and, and that, and then after that, you just hope it's a good tournament. Yeah, I'm excited to see how they get on with it, and I can't I can't wait for the World Cup. And as you said, it's just a, a festival of football, and and so many people are arguing that obviously the obviously the timing of it is not great. Um, because it is in the middle of a season and it's disrupting a lot. Um, but at the same time, I remember so many other World Cups where the season ends and you're just like, God, I've got three weeks to wait until this World Cup. Like, we're going straight from a game at the weekend to another game at the weekend as well. So it's kind of like, just continues in that in that way. So I, I can't wait for it. Who, who just, have you got a, a winner in mind? For me, I, I, my mind... I had an inclination for Argentina, mm -hmm. although I think they've lost, I can't remember the player, um, the midfield player that they've lost, who was a key figure for them. It's not, it's not lost Santos, I think, or there was a player who's, who's got injured that was a key for them, but I'd love, I'd love to see Messi winning the World mm -hmm. Cup. Um, I think Brazil, again, when you, it's hard, always hard to tell them. I always think if Brazil do well, it's a good World Cup, because they do have a certain type of flair. They've got a lot of really good players. 
in terms of the European sides, it's, I'm not yeah. sure if, if Europe's got a particularly strong challenge. That there might be difficult teams to beat, but I don't. There's not really any of the European teams that, that stand out for me. No, because I mean Italy won the Euros. And we're great at that. They've not qualified. Um, I'm not really expecting too much of England. They also got to the final. Um, Spain were, were actually good in the, the Euros. They played good football. I think they could be one of the contenders in, in Europe. France obviously have the quality in our World Cup champions, but so, <laughs> I've seen it so many times. You don't know. France either brilliant or they implode in themselves. Um, the, only, the only thing I would say, because of there's not any particular team that stands out, which you've maybe seen in previous World Cups, even the last one, the fact that Croatia got to the final. Yeah, it could so be. So maybe an opportunity for a, maybe a team that might surprise you, maybe a Croatia again, which would be great for us, because obviously, um, you know, Juranovic being in that squad. So it, it's just, I think it's just going to be really interesting. And, mm-hmm. and I think without having that, I'd love to see Wales do well as well. I think, you know, I think they they have a chance, I think, of getting, not, not winning it, but of getting out of that group. Yeah, the, the group they've got with England, USA and Iran, I think that's a group people are looking at and going, um, maybe it's a bit easier. It's actually the only group in the World Cup where all four teams are in the top 20 of FIFA World Rankings. So it could actually be quite difficult, that group. I mean, if you would expect England to get out of that. You would, and then it's a battle with, battle with the rest. But, but Wales have... Gareth Bale and that that just well they they have two things I USA think. have Carter Vickers exactly that'll be interesting but <laughs> they have a world class player who who regardless of whether he plays or, or not regularly he he always turns it on for his country and also they're one of those countries that have that kind of mythical club atmosphere almost that, that people try and strive for in national football that every one of them there's something about when they play for Wales something happens. Because I think even if Scotland had get past Ukraine, I don't think they'd have beat Wales. I think there's just... Yeah. So, but it, yeah, it's just, you know, you can't complain about a month of, of no, football. No, I know. I've already got everything set up. I already know I'm bringing in my, my tablet and it's just sitting there with four games on at the yeah, side as I'm trying to... I don't remember pretending to work. No, <laughs> I'm not asking. <laughs> I'm not asking. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... I'm going to say Argentina. Just maybe... They, they, they did win the Copa America, but... I think it's more because I just want them to win it for Messi. A wee Messi-Ronaldo final. One final chapter in that story. Messi, Messi does it. That's, that's my hope, anyway. Um, we'll just quickly as well touch on the, the trip to, to Sydney. Celtic going over there for the Sydney Super Cup. They're playing Sydney FC on Thursday and then playing Everton on Sunday before the players then go off for a, a break of their own. I think it's going to be really exciting for a number of reasons. Um, the fact that Celtic have so many connections with Australia, with the manager, with, with Harry Kuehl. Adam Moy obviously won't be there because he's with the Australian national team. But for so many fans, and we're going to hear from the Sydney CSC in a moment, it's been a long time since Celtic have been down under and there's so many people who've emigrated to Australia from Scotland and Ireland who don't get the chance to see Celtic in the flesh. So it's exciting in so many different levels. Yeah, I mean, I, I always feel, even like in, a, in the context of Celtic Park, I mean, I, I stay 15 minutes drive from Celtic Park. So I, I appreciate even the fact that, you know, all our fans that are coming over from Ireland or from elsewhere in, in the U, UK, down in England or whatever, they, they, what they do to get there. And then you, you widen that out and then all the fans all, all over the world that maybe don't get the chance to see Celtic in the flesh or maybe if they manage to get over once a year, 
as you say, I think it's about 10 years since we've been in Australia. And I, I think that's when you kind of start to appreciate how much, you know, just even the fact that all the fans that we have that tune into Celtic TV every week faithfully to, to watch the team, and that's their kind of link with Scotland and with Celtic. So I think for them, you know, for the manager to take the team back home, I think it's brilliant for him. I think it's brilliant for Celtic and obviously for the fans. And it's interesting that the, I saw a thing last week, Jackson Irvin, who obviously started his career here. I think he's with Sam Powley now. He's in the Australian national squad. And he'd given an interview last year at some point, before the manager was appointed, saying, this guy's a good manager. You know, somebody should take a chance on him because he's going to do well. And he's kind of like sitting back now as if he's the he, he knows what he's talking about. But he obviously he did. And what he said was, it's brilliant for Australia and Australian football to see Ange Postacoglu managing a Celtic team in the Champions League, to see Aaron Moy, an Australian player, competing with obviously Tom Rogic as well at that level, because it, it allows people in Australia, because obviously it's competing against other sports there, young players and young managers, something to aspire to, and it's tangible because Ange Postacoglu has achieved it. So I, I think it's brilliant for the, the club to be going on there, and I'm, I'm sure the fans... We'll love just seeing the team in the flesh. Yeah, it should be a, a good week over in Australia. So let's give the last word to the, the Sydney CSC as they look forward to Celtic heading out to Australia. But for now, thanks very much for, for joining us for this latest edition of the podcast. Hopefully you agree with our suggestions. We did give you the chance to say. With, but if you if you do have any arguments... Um, Follow you on Twitter so it's people to, <laughs> <laughs> people to find you. Um, but yeah, you can, you can come find me on it and, and have, a go, have a go at me with anything. But, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon and we'll, we'll leave the last word with the Sydney CSC. Oh look, this is this is a fantastic thing. Um, like when I came out, you know, twelve years ago, we had the team come over. I was here a couple of months, and uh, Selig decided to land the last time. So we've been waiting a long time for it to sort of reoccur. And I think you kind of get a better occasion with uh, you know Orange just being a couple of hours down the road in Melbourne. So look, it's massive. The buzz is absolutely sensational, and everybody's absolutely geared up for it. It's brilliant. No, it's brilliant. As you say, we don't get to go week by week. We see all the games. We don't get to, you know, experience that atmosphere. So getting that of this side of the world, it'll be good. As Angie said as well, getting it sort of mid-season when the team should be, you know, a bit fitter. It's not quite a pre-season game that uh, you would get normally. So I really looking forward to it. Everybody's buzzing for it. You know what, we've got the Ange connection, but something that we've actually been blessed with, you know, we've got Paul McStay, who's just up the road, who's became a, an absolute sensational ambassador for the club. Um, we've got Scott McDonald on board as well. I know he'll be making an appearance too. So we're completely geared up and, you know, the whole the whole Ange thing is um, 
you know, it's just been fantastic. You know, the guys were here a few weeks ago promoting um, their outing uh, next week. And uh, look, they're confident. Uh, you know, everybody, look, when you come up against a team like Everton as well, you know, it couldn't have been a better sort of pick for us either. Um, you know, there's a big game um, sort of, there's a big sort of travelling community um, in Parkhead uh, uh, to here. And uh, yeah, look, we're buzzing. You come up against an English team, I think that was the right fit. And uh, yeah, and obviously Sydney as well. Well, there's definitely a lot more interest. You know, Celtic have always been on the, the sports pages and get a get a mention on the the goals at the weekend and things like that. But since Ange has been the manager, the interest went through the roof here. So it's great for us because you get to see get to see a lot more. You know, there's always different interviews, whether it's with Ange or with people related to the team. So no, since he's been the manager, there's definitely a lot more a lot more interest around the club. Just people contacting our supporters club has been phenomenal as well. You know, we've got all sorts of different nationalities joining. A lot of it's just because of Ange, you know. So uh, it's really, it's really uh, piqued the interest over the last sort of 18 months. Oh, a hundred percent. We've got a uh, we've got Godzik. We had um, Arzani as well at some point. You know they've done a bit of the tours and the the sort of local beaches and stuff. So look, it's fantastic. And like Craig says, the what it's doing, the interest that it's generating in that sort of market, and obviously bringing Celtic over here, it's boosting the clubs. And that's from an interstate perspective as well. It's not just Sydney that's benefiting. It's the whole of Australia, uh, Australia and Australasia. So look at it. You know the positives have been outstanding for everyone. Like I, th I think it's a big thing here. You know, it's sort of it's still an untapped market when you look at how many Australians have actually been in Scotland and succeeded. You know, we were we were blessed with Viduka. We've spoke about Skippy already, but I think there's a lot of players and there's obviously a lot of relationships that have to be built. Just what we've done with Japan, sort of recently. So everybody's sort of looking forward to that and gearing up there. Oh, look, it's, it's actually unbelievable. You know, the, the amount of supporters in this country that support Celtic is phenomenal. You know, we always have a, a gathering every couple of years called the Huddle Down Under. And just to turn up you get for that, it's, you know, you get thousands of people coming to the cities for that. So, you know, it's just like things like this always bring the Celtic fans together. There'll be people that we've not seen maybe since the last Celtic game 10, 11 years ago, you know, that we'll see again this, this week. So... Uh, it's really good for that perspective. I definitely. It's uh, the first thing you look for when you come to a new city, a new country. Is where can I watch Celtic? You know what I mean. So that's the first thing that you look for. So you find a place to watch Celtic, but 
very quick, you, quickly, you realise it's all like-minded people that's about you, so they become your friends, that becomes your network. So really, in the last 16 years, all the people about the Celtic Club have become my best friends, you know, so it's a big part of your life, and it really helps you here because you do miss, you miss family, you miss Celtic, you miss these things, but through the club, it just helps bring everybody together and gives you that, just gives you that taste of Celtic and that taste of home that you want, it keeps you, keeps you going. So very recently, um, just up, uh, last week there, sorry, two weeks ago now, um, we had the 40th anniversary and that was celebrating, you know, um, everybody that's been involved over 40 years. You know, when you think about, you know, that sort of diaspora that came over, that duration, that, that length of time, you know, these guys didn't know the, 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 the result for a good week. You know, we were waiting on VCRs and videos come on over. They would go and they would pick a pub. And they would distribute that amongst the communities when they all sat down and watched it. And, you know, that sort of, you know, that, that sort of level of support, it's obviously been maintained. Obviously, we've got access to a lot of, you know, there's an availability in terms of the games. And um, we've got a fantastic pub. We've got a fantastic supporters club. And uh, the people involved are still, you know, still interested and strong as they were, you know, when they first landed. So over the course of 12 years that I've been here, um, I joined the committee um, sort of early on. You know, I've done this for a good eight years now with the guys, known them for the last 12 years. And it's sort of that community thing where you come over, you know, you end up with a lot of best mates for the first sort of few weeks. And it's that sort of thing that sort of, you know, that sort of charitable aspect and that sort of social aspect that keeps it going. Look, I think, um, look, obviously Celtic being a charitable club, I think we need to sort of, we need to drive that through the supporters club as well. So we have, um, we've been engaged heavily, like Craig said, in the huddle down unders. When it was Sydney's turn, um, we got involved with Mary's Meals um, through the foundation. And since that, it's kind of spurred us on, trying to get one bigger and better every year. So, you know, we're doing everything from food banks, um, you know, local indigenous charities, um, things like that. It's getting tops over to Thailand with the Titans. So it's nice that, and obviously the Kano Foundation as well is what is very close to our hearts too, and that's something that we're going to drive, and we're going to, you know, we're going to maintain that for the next few years as well. Oh, look, the biggest sacrifice is obviously the time that you're getting up to watch the games. Some sometimes you get really good kickoff times, nine thirty on a Saturday night, you know, which is ideal. Go for the pub, couple of beers. Other times you've got three in the morning, six in the morning, two in the morning, you know, you've got all of these different times. So these sort of sacrifices, you just do it. It becomes second nature, you know. It's uh, that's what you do, is watch the games live. It's not quite the same watching the highlights the next day. So you do want to see it live where possible, and you've always got that chance now. When I first came here 16 years ago, you would maybe only have one or two games that you could catch live a month, you know, so it was a sort of big gathering in the pub, whereas now everybody can watch it on the internet, you know, Celtic TV, whatever it is, whatever method they want to do it, so it has changed. 
But uh, as well as just watching the games, you know, we do put on a couple of functions every year just for the supporters to get us all together, whether it's a barbecue or a harbour cruise. That's normally the two that we do every year, you know, and they're always good events. The the barbecue is more of a family event where the cruise, you know, it's a bit more of an adult booze cruise, if you like, where everybody sort of gets involved and enjoys it. So I uh, we try and cater for everybody, families, you know, the adults, everybody. So uh, it's just about bringing the families together, just having somewhere for people when they land here, want to watch Celtic, but also to meet, meet people. Oh, look, I don't, I don't know how much I can say for the Celtic view and live on a podcast, but uh, <laughs> there's been, there's been some fantastic, fantastic oh. moments with the club where we've had, you know, unannounced players come through the doors. Um, you know, there's been a few events that you know we've not done it in purpose that have rolled into sort of maybe a barbecue's rolled onto a game, and then the following day there's something else on. So look, there's always something going on, and that's something that we would always encourage is anybody that does come over, you know, with one of these accents. No matter what sort of communities you're from, you know, get in, get involved with your local CSCs, support them, and you'll get it back. I was just going to say there's been plenty for European games, you know, the Barcelona game 10 years ago, uh, the, the numerous games against Rangers, you know, I have to admit there was a few good laughs when they went through a tough time 10 years ago. You know, uh, there was uh, more than a few events happening in the pub that was... Uh, aimed at them, they have a little dig, but I would say that the games against Rangers, especially when they first come back into the league a few years ago, under the Brendan Rodgers years, that there just seemed to be a buzz again about Sydney, you know, with these, just more of an interest coming back, I suppose, and uh, you know, round about that time, there was regular doings, it was 5-1, 4-1, you know, it seemed to be every week, and it was, uh, day times were just amazing, and as Nick sort of touched on, one of the times Round about then, when he was in top form for us, Tom Rogers walked into the pub during a during a Celtic Rangers game. So he was injured at the time, and he was back in Australia. And it was actually here; it was over the bells, if you like. It was over midnight at New Year, and uh, he walked into the pub at half time. Didn't kind of know what hit him. I think he lasted about twenty minutes, and uh, he disappeared again. But just these sort of things, brilliant experiences for everybody, you know. And I'm sure it was a good experience for Tom as well. So I think we've had a really, just coming off the back of COVID, we've had a really busy year, but it's been successful off the back of the 40th and what we've actually managed to do on the charity side. So our main focus is actually just having people over and having fun again, right? So we've got a lot, we've actually got a few sort of internationals coming over. We're getting messages for people coming from Scotland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, and obviously we've got the Interstate Supporters Club. Yeah, yeah, we've got the, yeah, we've got the St. Pauli, we've got the German fans coming over as well, which is absolutely fantastic. But one of the big things for us is we had a, a recent meeting with Celtic and a lot of their time that they're spending as well is to make sure that there is plenty of fan engagement. So just having them sort of consider that, you know, the open training ground sessions and the sessions that they've got sort of planned, you know, where you can actually go and you can sort of integrate in those sort of fan zones. 
I think that's really important as well. So there's obviously through the SLO and there's obviously a bit of guidance on that, but for us to get involved and engage like it's been treated like a proper away game, a function, I think that gives you that wee home feel about it. So that kind of cuts out a bit of the, um, you know, the homesickness. We actually feel that there's a buzz again and, you know, we're almost ready to jump on a bus and, uh, you know, get it up to the stadium and get going. Can't wait to see them over here. Actually hoping that we get a lot of new fans as well, you know, a lot of the, the locals here. that There's a lot of football fans here that will maybe follow a Premier League team or something like that rather than in Celtic. But if we can show them a good time, you know what I mean? Them, they'll, they'll know the Celtic fans are in the city that week anyway, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of festivities going on. <laughs> 